Rupture Radio, a weekly look at news, politics and culture from a socialist perspective. This week we're back with a news panel, which is a more relaxed, scattergun look at the news and events this week, rather than the in-depth At The Roots series of interviews we've been doing. Um, the panel this week will be myself, Kean Prendival, hosting, along with Dave Murphy. Hello. And Diana O'Dwyer. Hiya. And, and this week we make history because we're actually in person, uh, all in the one room, recording live uh, um, uh, and tickets for our tour are, are going to be released soon in all good venues uh, um, no uh, but we're, we're recording live for in person for the first time it's we're approaching the first year one year anniversary of the launch of rupture radio um so it's kind of exciting to be in in person and we're able to do it thanks to the help from Tiernan on sound and um, which we can finally afford and uh, um, thanks to those supporters uh, um, on patreon so if you would like more in-person panels if you would like us to to do a, a tour of the country where we can come to your local town and village and and uh, talk news and politics uh, um, there and uh, um, chip in on patreon two euro five euro a month whatever you can can afford and um, but anyway we're we're back. Uh, um, school is back in session, Dave. How are you? How are you? How are you finding it? What now that we're able to do these things in person? What's the most exciting thing you've managed to do back to uh, some semblance of normality? Well, the most exciting thing is obviously uh, doing a podcast that's not from my bed, where I've recorded every podcast that we've done. I see so you've far. brought your duvet with you, though, just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just for the comfort. Yeah, I got dressed today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, there's nothing really exciting going on. Like summer ceases to become a time of like doing a lot of stuff once you become an adult and you just work like normal you don't get like three month long summer holidays I so, took two um, weeks I, I did two weeks cycling around Kerry uh, um, enjoying the, the local Guinness and seafood and, and all that so you did yeah well, I had two weeks off as well but all I did was uh, stayed in I that bed four, <laughs> four days of watching horse racing I visited a, a historical site that's about five minutes away from my house and then I sat at home for the rest of it and what, what's the summer with kids experience like the same as oh yeah like summer with kids is not that much different from the rest of the year with kids <laughs> get up every day at like a ridiculous hour and mind them all day but yeah I don't know spent a lot of it on the beach because the weather was good so you must that be was nice. excited about the return of schools though and crashes and all that now that you get a bit of oh that's true yeah no that's great the disease yeah, finally being able to like yeah kick at least one of them out the door and wave them goodbye for a few hours is <laughs> nice but I love my kids of course well, uh, and they were in, or one of them was in for a day and already and caught a illness on like day one or something as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're all like that for the first couple of weeks because like they basically are just a total cesspool of viruses. But then at <laughs> least like everyone got infected with like whatever viruses like two or three times in the first two weeks. And they've actually been grand now the last couple of weeks so Aye, yeah. and so the doll's been back now just for people listening we, we're recording this on Thursday morning the uh, the 23rd but the doll's been back now for about a week um, and Dave what have, what's been the uh, what's, what's been the highlights of the week so far okay so the highlights of the week so far is basically that Michal Martin has gone to New York for the UN Security Council meeting I think and to like shake hands with Biden guess to sit at the big table yeah <laughs> um, so in his absence uh, like it's like when your parents go away and you're left in charge of the house for Adkar's being uh, left in charge of the doll so he spent the week essentially uh putting his true self out there as a really really right wing guy uh, which must be like really annoying Michal Martin like Michal Martin and Fianna Fáil have been like trying to like present themselves as like men of the people that we're for everyone with all the all the different crises in housing and 
um, like political scandals. They've been trying to present themselves as like like the everyman. And now Veradkar has come in while Michal Martin's away and he's just like just ruined that every word he's uttered has probably done damage to to that idea Fianna Fáil are trying to create so in, in one day on Tuesday just they if Radker in the doll he said they wouldn't be getting the Micah there won't be 100% redress for Micah he gave that famous line about the landlords that like oh well landlords deserve their income too and a couple of other stuff as well like all, all at once just ruining that like attempt to they, like the government have been trying to get away from that image that the last government had of just being rich boys posh boys out of touch and he just like within one day he uh, jumped right back into yeah, that yeah and you'd imagine all the Fianna Fáil TDs and like even Fine Gael TD backbenchers like every time he speaks they're probably putting their head <laughs> in their hands like you know um, you know, I'll, I'll, we've been I'll, trying so hard not to look like this and then Faradkar comes in um, so if you look at like the Micah thing like so people will remember like people will know that this is like a major issue affecting like thousands of people like in Donegal and down the west coast um, and even further afield like in some parts of Dublin like with pyrite like a, a similar um, issue so like there's been a massive campaign organised like they had I think 10,000 people or more down in Dublin a couple of months ago um, and they've been campaigning really really hard having local protests uh, all across the west um, and like basically people's houses are falling down around them and like it's through absolutely no fault of their own it's defective uh, blocks and uh, materials that were used uh, in their house and they're looking for a 100% redress I saw I don't know Radker's justification as to why they wouldn't do redress was if we gave redress to this group of homeowners who have like they bought a house that was advertised one way and then it turned out to be another way you know and they're screwed over because of it he said if we give redress to these people that might encourage other people who have been similarly screwed over to also seek redress so it's like if we do a little bit of justice uh, um, then other people might also demand justice and we couldn't possibly allow allow that to happen Um yeah, but even what they're setting up is like they're not talking about 100% redress. The working group is looking at a way to try and have uh, they can give 90% redress. Like, uh, like they're saying that the bill already will cost the state like one billion, but like, um, like there's no talk about going after like the builders or the the supply companies um, who did this. Rather, it's talk about like well, um, the state the state will pay it, which which they should. Um, and then and then go after them but like that's where the blame lies and it's like a carryover of the Celtic Tiger like where you could just lash up anything um, like people remember like there's whole apartment blocks in Dublin that are nearly falling down that are defective and like um, and like if you're somebody who bought a house for like whatever 300 grand and you're expected to pay 10% of the fixing costs so say that's 15 to 20 grand like you know like th- they may say oh there's no interest on it but where are you going to get that money from you may be stretched already so that was one of Faradkar's things on Tuesday he said uh, he said that there, there's not that he's basically ruled out the notion of 100% redress which apparently I don't know if you've seen the speculation they're saying this could bring down the government that like I don't know about that, how true that is but like backbench Fine Gaelers and Fianna Fáilers from the West are like really up in arms about this and are feeling the pressure um, but so that's one thing that he said uh, um, he also came out on Tuesday and said this this landlords thing did you see that like this line about the the one somebody think of the landlords. Yeah, I think what he said is one person's rent is another person's income, which 
kind of creates this false equivalence between these two things. Like what he really means is one person's home is another person's means of financially exploiting them and parasiting off them, you know. Um, so basically it's like tenants going off to work to put a roof over their heads, but to kind of fund the lifestyle, the discretionary spending of the kind of people who vote for Leo Varadkar and Fine Gael. He's obviously playing these that landlords. Bit. Surely these landlords should just get up in early in the morning and go earn their own income, like, no? Exactly. Like, well, it kind of reminded me of, um, do you remember during the Dunbay South by-election, there was the Fianna Fáil candidate, Deirdre Conroy, and she was like, oh, I had to get a lodger into my house so that, you know, I could keep affording my um, designer um, heels and my ski trips, you know, after the crash. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, that was... Um, we all, what she we was all doing. suffered. We all <laughs> yeah, suffered. Yeah, we all suffered. <laughs> <laughs> I had to let out my holiday home as well, like, you know... <laughs> And like another thing that really bugs me is they always make out like that um, every landlord has like a, a mortgage, you know, that they're paying off, whereas actually the vast majority of rental properties don't have any mortgage on them at all. Like I went and looked up how many buy to let mortgages there are and how many rental properties they are like and it's about a third or buy to let mortgages but like that's like the slightly more sympathetic version of the landlord as in someone who's just creaming it off you know as in two thirds are like corporate landlords that own it outright they just bought they just or own. just like rich people who don't have a mortgage on uh-huh. their rental property you know so two um, thirds of it's just a hun- the rent is just a hundred percent income in their yeah, in their bank. It's like. just it's income for them. Yeah, there's no mortgage on it. You know, so but you don't hear that much. E- even if you are paying off a mortgage, like I understand, I'm not having a go at like accidental landlords or people that like you know fine. Uh, but uh, um, but even if if somebody else is paying off your mortgage, you're doing well. Like you know, what I mean, the, the the tenant is the one paying the rent. If that's covering the mortgage or going most of the way to cover the mortgage, at the end of the day, you're going. The, the, the landlord owns the place, whereas the tenant at the end of the day just has to move on in a few years when the landlord gets fed up of it and wants to sell it or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah but even the idea now that, like, you know, that's just paying the mortgage. If you look at, like, the cost of rent, like, there's no way that, like, you have a monthly mortgage on, like, a, like say, some of these, like, houses, like, our next council house and, like, they're renting out. I saw one in Galway going for, like, two and a half grand a month. Like, there's no way the mortgage on that is, like, two and a half grand a month. Like, so this person's probably getting at least a grand a month in, in extra income. So, like, it's it's unbelievable. Like, and again, it, like, it undermines, like, the Fianna Fáil strategy of, like, their Housing for All program, which they only released, like, last week or the week before amid the Simon Coveney controversy and kind of, like, it got overshadowed, like, and then... I know, you'd feel... You'd almost feel bad for them. They'd obviously done months of work preparing for this and then, like, they launch it and, like, nobody's talking about it whatsoever. Yeah, Everybody's just talking like, about COVID. We have housing for all. And then, like, the next week, like, Varadkar's out saying, no, no, uh, we have a housing thing where, where people are going to pay, like, to put money in landlords' wallets. Uh, kind of just, like, undermines the whole, like, cuddly image that they were trying to put out with the, especially with the name of the document. I know, they stole that, like. Like, literally, I was on the Raise the Roof website and Raise the Roof's, like, sub-slogan is homes for all you know like we better be careful like the next Fianna Fáil policy document is going to be called like socialism for the 21st century or something they robbed the PBP slogan from the last election like break the cycle yeah, and it'd be an anti-Fine Gael thing like you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, or no, go back to the 19 did you ever see the 1932 Fianna Fáil election poster it's the best thing ever <laughs> F- Fine Gael is the party of the rich and the landlords or something like that that was the, that was the Fianna Fáil election slogan you know? and then to come on the Gael one it's like about 
communist red on their beds. Or something like, don't make our flag red. Yeah, yeah. For Finn of all, yeah. Um, so that's two, two, two of Radker's greatest hits this week. Uh, um, what else was he? Uh, um, all right, to? so then, so like he, he, um, he kind of declared the pandemic over, like, you know, so gone out the window is this like applaud and clap for workers, like, you know, and that like workers have like frontline workers, but like not just public health workers but like there's loads of like retail workers who've kind of like been in the front line during the whole pandemic and for the last 18 months it's been like you know these people are heroes you mm-hmm. know going out there keeping the place run uh, and then we were clapping for them at a certain stage and then you would have expected like at the end of the pandemic that there's some type of uh, like payoff or bonus um, but then Varadkar came out like and he was like um, oh it's it's too soon now to move on to giving everyone a living wage like you know so it's like let's pay them back in uh, claps again and mm-hmm. like the living wage is like the last one was 12 30 an hour they're going to release the new updated version I think next week um, so like for like her saying like that we should have like people like who like for the last year and a half kept the economy run being paid less than 12 30 an hour which you know, when you work it out after tax uh, my tax calculator tells me it's like 429 quid a week Um so like that's and like when you think what we were talking there about yeah, rents and all rent it's, it's, it's not a lot and these people have been out like um do you know I mean like in retail um and obviously uh in hospitals working um and then this morning then obviously uh the Irish Times are saying that uh any attempt to give like a bonus or some type of pay or time off to like like public servant workers like so that's including health workers um like could crash the whole budget coming up you know um, so that's another one of like Varadkar's like pandemic is over I think that I, it's funny like the, 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 the fact that they have a living wage and they say okay this is the amount of money you'd need to have to live on and then it's not the minimum wage as in it's like they're saying like oh yeah we're going to allow hundreds of thousands of people to work on what we're describing as a non-livable wage <laughs> you know what I mean it's like it's like when Nescafe they do like their fair trade coffee but they sell it next to their Nescafe like non-fair trade coffee it's like if you if you want your coffee like made by child labour it's slavery we also provide that but it's just insane that they can say oh yeah this is the living wage but we're not going to pay a living wage we're going to accept that loads of workers will be living in in poverty like you know yeah so, so that was kind of a strike three. So then his uh, his fourth one that he put in was to try and get rid of. Um, so obviously this like Simon Coveney issue with Catherine Zappone has been like hanging around like a bad smell the, like the whole summer, um, and like they thought they put a, an end to it um, over the last couple of weeks with uh, Coveney saying sorry and they defeated the motion and no confidence but then there was like this request that Zappone comes in to answer some questions and like Zappone was like. No, like, you know, um, so like, it's like, she's basically accepting to be the, the kind of the patsy for the whole thing. Like, but you don't really like, like from her point of view, if you think about it, like what's she really going to come in and say under questioning, like, you know, like, oh yeah, look, I really wanted to get this position to use as a stepping stone so that I could get into the American administration. Like, you know, like that's like from all the text messages, that just... It was, it was the other <laughs> way around, wasn't it? it? wasn't. It was that she wanted, she was fishing for a job with the Biden administration. Yeah, so she was going to use the UN as a, as a stepping stone to, to get in there. To yeah, get in yeah. there. Um, and like, there's no way that she couldn't like present herself as having this like massive idea of her own self-worth, like, you know, um, that like, under any type of question and like when you read the text like what how is she going to justify it it's just those uh, texts are like hilarious like you know 
it's like an unrequited love story or something, you know. Um, but yeah, but do you think it's funny that she hasn't come out and said anything because, like, she has been thrown under a bus. They're, the basic line from the government is no, Zapone is just mad, like you know. Uh, um, whereas she could come out and say no. In my conversation with Coveney, he said X, Y, or Z. Uh, um, but she's just sort of accepted this role of being the punching bag, like you know. But, but like she did make a total show of Coveney as well. Like I mean, he had to come in and like answer questions about it and have a no confidence motion about it for hours, you know. Do you know what I mean? Like, they both look like absolute Muppets, like. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she doesn't have to come in because, you know, she's not a minister or whatever. So, like, why would she? Like, she just doesn't like, still really give pension. a shit, like, you know. I know, like, obviously, morally, she should. But, like, if she did come in, like, she knows she just, like, everyone would just be dying to have a go at her. And, like, you know, the only thing she seems to care about is kind of, it's really just exposed her as this mad kind of social climbing opportunist. Like the thing about the her insisting on business class flights over to New York, but she was like, oh, you know, you can put my insistent in economy, like, that's fine, like, but I want the, the business The great class champion of equality that is. Like, you know? I know, yeah, like such total hypocrisy. And she just looks kind of a bit sad and pathetic now, you know, um, but like the whole thing, it just really exposes the whole kind of cronyism of it all like and you know kind of everyone just trying to use everyone else for a leg up and yeah did yeah. you see speaking about flights did you see that half a million euros so far this year on using the private jet the government's private jet um, they're spending they're still spending and I think it was three quarters of a million last year on just the private jet for ministers to go from A to B like you know but um, just but like uh, s- staying on the, the 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 travel, like this isn't the first time that Sapone has been like really vain in terms of like her travel expenses. Like if people remember when she was a minister, so like she, you get a travel expense if you're a TD or a minister from the distance of your house to like Leinster House. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, there's different like levels. So if you go over a certain distance, like it it gets bumped up by a few thousand. So like suppose that are going like the long way to work. Yeah, so yeah. that, so that like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. she needed to increase it by like like a, like a part of a kilometre, like you know, to get up to the next level of expenses. So like she started going the long way, like you know, and then like she was just like brazen, like you know, no, no, that's that's the quickest way I could go, you know. Like she also claims to be under sixteen when she gets on Dublin bus, so that she gets to the Jews <laughs> fair. That's what I heard. Um, and then, then Varekar's last hit then was probably one that has like the most consequence going forward. It's around the uh, CETA, so the uh, Canadian EU trade deal. That's uh, not what it actually can stands for. There's a common misunderstanding of what the letters of CETA stands for. Stands for like consolidated something something something. Or, 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 it's not Canada European. But well, I think my one makes more sense. If it does explaining. make more sense, but but it's. If, <laughs> So it's not technically correct. Yeah, so so he was under questioning in the Dáil um, or in a committee um, and Paul Murphy, the PPTD, was I know in, him, yeah. Do it. I know him, yeah. <laughs> that fella. Um, sorry, we were questioning him about it like, and um, showing how like that like the like Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil tried to present like the idea of like investor courts as being you know, this like threat that people who are opposed to a hangover it, and it's this kind of like populist thing where you, t- where you talk about these courts and that they're going to undermine democracy. But like then basically he came out and said like, yeah, what you're saying is actually real. So for example, like with, um, so say if the government tried to introduce like further legislation on rent increases, um, that like obviously affected the ability of like say Irish Rita, a Canadian company to, jack up rents further and further and increase their profits that then they would be able to use this special mechanism of the investor court to try and like block that legislation and um, so like it does two things like it gives like the 
capitalist class and like the business class access to these special courts which you would imagine will be tilted in their favor in terms of uh like competition versus like democratic like law or the democratic wishes of people to have laws implemented um that do stuff um but then it also showed that um that like loads of the loads of the bad stuff that they say doesn't exist in these sort of trade deals is actually real because he came out and like he admitted like well yeah that could be a consequence um so like I, I do think that's like a major thing because like the the there was a recent court case saying that you wouldn't need a referendum on this and that it's not unconstitutional so like presumably sometime like in this the life of the stall possibly soon the government are going to try to rat- ratify this deal and it can have like major consequences going forward did you see the uh Fradker's grilling by Paul. You were you would have been working on that, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I thought it was funny because like it kind of just showed how little government politicians actually know about what they're talking about a lot of the time. You know, they sound kind of vaguely plausible, but he was basically just repeating the same talking point and then admitting, "Oh yeah, my talking point isn't really cr- accurate." But then he just go back to the same talking point again. Like what he kept saying was like, "The investor court system doesn't matter because sure." these companies could just sue us in the Irish courts anyway so it doesn't make any difference and then Paul would go yeah but the investor court system can only be used by multinationals and the Irish government and the Irish parliament can't change any of the laws in the investor court system isn't that right and he'd go yeah that is correct and then (laughs) then he'd go but sure they could just sue us in Irish courts anyway so it was like this kind of constant loop like Paul actually had to say to him at one stage like are you being deliberately obtuse you know (laughs) Um, which I think yeah he was basically because most of the time he doesn't really get questioned you know too much on his kind of spiel about stuff you know Um, but like I kind of think with all the Varadkar stuff like will any of this actually damage him you know because most of what he's doing is just doing the job he's there to do which is to represent the interests of big business of landlords of wealthy people so it's a bit like kind of Trump saying I could go out in the street and shoot someone and people would still vote for me you know as long as the kind of bad as long stuff as he's a landlord. doing <laughs> yeah exactly you know so like I just think more likely what will get him is like some kind of perceived incompetent thing that he does you know that is bad for the interests of like landlords and big business like if he makes some massive mess up like say around the data centre thing like if all of that ends up blown up in their face like say this week um there was this news like they were going to lose investment from intel because intel were like oh you don't have a reliable electricity or water supply anymore like that's the kind of thing that could be damaging from his perspective you know um because that's all they really care about is like attracting big companies and and so on um into the country regardless of the costs for people you know yeah um yeah, and actually, Martin, mm. not to be outdone mm. by Varadkar, he jumped in two feet first on Wednesday on the data centers thing uh, um, with his own like like stupid comment of saying like, I don't know if you saw this, he was questioned in, in the US about the data centers and what does he think of PPP's proposal to ban them? And he was like, oh, well, data centers, they're an important part of our uh, our eco our eco structure <laughs> <laughs> so like and so he was saying oh it'd be stupid to ban data centers and they're an important part of tackling climate change Is it like, I don't know what function he thinks data centers are going to do in as part of our eco structure of tackling climate change uh, um, but that does like uh, th- 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 I think this is going to be a big issue for the next couple of weeks now um, because there's the there's the threat of like, I don't know what people saw but they're, they're saying that there could be blackouts or brownouts which isn't it's not that the toilets don't work brownout just means that there's like 
limited access to electricity <laughs> um, uh, over the over the winter because of the massive draw, drain on our electricity supply. But what does limited access to electricity mean? I think it'd be like, oh, for one hour in the evening or something like that. That it's off now. or it's on. Or you plug oh. everything in, charge everything <laughs> in. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, and, but part of it is because of like all these data centres and in the years to come, data centres, like they're already using apparently 11% of the total electricity in the country, and which is like compares to a, an EU average of about 2%. Um, and they're saying, uh, AirGrid said, 30% by 2030 and then they updated it and they said it could be we could be at 30% of our entire energy use by data centers by 2027 at the current rate which is compared to an international average of around 2% you know uh, um, so these things are becoming a massive drain on our energy usage um, obviously pumping out resu- resulting in like huge pressure on in terms of CO2 and all that but also um, they're becoming a, a, a major uh, problem in terms of water usage um, and driving up, sorry, the other thing that I was going to say, it also has an impact in terms of electricity prices. Electricity prices going through the roof partly because of this in- increased strain on, on, on the uh, on the network, you know. Um, but there's the, the bill coming up now next week. Um, apparently it's going to be debated to try to, to ban uh, data centers once and for all, you know. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to like Danny Healy Ray's input on that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what does he think a data center is? Like, it's gotta be like. Sure, Kelly has some <laughs> of the best clouds in all of Ireland. The clouds are right there. We can have the data centers where we have the best access to the clouds. Uh, well, like just uh, like out where I am in Tallis, so they've built loads. Well, there are a number of data centers there, like you know. Yeah, you th- there's so, big, one of the big Amazon ones. Out big there, Amazon right? one there, yeah, where the Jacobs biscuit factory used to be like that used to provide like hundreds of jobs then it closed down and now you have this big massive uh, data center that probably make biscuits not data centers yeah (laughs) but uh like part of the deal that they used to sell it to the county councils was like and it's trying to get this idea of like the renewable energy and the the oh yeah we use all these resources but we give something back is that they were like oh um like we'll have like heating districts where like the excess energy and heat used from the data center will be supplied to local areas and local facilities but like it was out this so like this was sold like to people back like i think in 2014 or 2015 and it might have opened in 2016 or maybe it was 2016 but it was a good few years ago now like and it still hasn't like happened that they're, they're only putting the pipes in for it now like you know um so like that's like five years later presumably the data center has been running for at least two or three of those years and like people are getting nothing back like and i don't think like, we should fall for this idea that oh they build a data center and then like the local whatever will get um the, the extra heat off it. it's kind of like with a property developer when he builds an estate and he says like oh 10 percent of them will be social housing but the 90 percent will be uh, for the private market like it's like a little crumb off the table that's allowing this like really useless relatively useless uh data center to guzzle loads of energy yeah, and like they provide hardly any jobs as well, you know, like the most you hear is like 30 to 50 jobs like at a data centre. And when you consider like that your data centre is probably using up as much water electricity as like a few towns. I mean, how many jobs would you have in a few towns, you know, like it's just a really bad cost benefit analysis from any point of view, you know, like it just shows how desperate the government is to attract any kind of foreign capital. They're just like, yeah, do it, do whatever you want. Use up all our water, use up all our electricity sure we're not going to need it you know it's fine and like I just really wondered like what were they thinking like that I mean 
Did they think, oh, you know, somehow we're going to replace this electricity or like, you know, maybe people won't use as much or it's like they really just didn't think about like actually creating a situation where data centers are going to be using up 30, 40 percent for electricity in a few years time. Like it's completely nuts. Um, And then they kind of try and greenwash the whole situation by saying like, oh, yeah, they're only going to use renewable energy. But that's not true either. Like the ones that are here at the moment, they're mostly just being powered off the national grid. So they're just competing for the same electricity as everybody else needs to use. And even the ones, even the most like renewable of them, um, they still like, like if they have wind turbines or solar panels, that still means when the wind's not blowing or when the sun's not out, they're just burning gas on on site. Uh, um, So even the most like renewable of them are still have fossil fuel infrastructure as part of their, their backups, you know? But yeah, and like pretty big gas generators on site. Like there's a massive one they're building at the moment in Clondalkin for TikTok and it's going to have a huge on-site gas generator. And the same with the LNG down in Shannon, you know, will have a data centre attached to it as well. So like these things are going hand in hand with each other, you know, um, actually increasing the carbon emissions of the country massively. And like Eamon Ryan, as usual, presiding over it all, like all of these anti-green policies as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, but even, did you see, um, there's one of them, there's a data centre planned for Meath, that in the planning permission, they're saying that it would use about three to five million litres of water every day. So that's like more water than like Sligo or Kilkenny or like even not like big, big towns. Uh, um, uh, but uh, uh, th- that's a Facebook one. But there's a Google one uh, um, or Google refused to release the figures for how much water their data centres use. And like they say that it's like a, a quote that uh, Google regards water use at its data centres as a trade secret. <laughs> 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 what is that? What are they doing with the water? <laughs> Just to try and bring back water charges to your house, like you know, be like, no, no, that's <laughs> a, a trade, trade secret. secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they won't. They, they refuse to announce how much water they use. I couldn't believe it, you know. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, and like the one thing that I think, like, we need to talk about a bit more as part of this push to ban data centers is. Like, what's all these data centers being used for? Like, what, it's not just all about, like, so that you can use TikTok or, or, or stream videos. It's, it's all the other analytics and all that, like, surveillance stuff that's going on in the background. Like, mo- most of Google, what they're crunching and the data they're crunching isn't about providing you with your video. It's about figuring out what ads they hit you uh, with, figuring out when you're pausing so that they can uh, uh, improve things and that. It's, it's actually trying to like, get inside your head um, for advertising and all that sort of stuff rather than actually socially useful uh, um, things. Okay, sure. We should move on as well. Um, I think, uh, Danny, you were going to talk a little bit about this. The March, the March for Choice coming up. It's this Saturday, trying to highlight, trying to build pressure in terms of um, uh, improving things in terms of access to abortion rights in uh, in Ireland. Yeah, like the original um, legislation providing for limited abortion rights is coming up for review this year. Um, So there's a lot of pressure um, building up around um, the review, hopefully, to um, get some extension of of those rights um, that we won through through repeal. Um, Like, I think some of the things that are wrong with the situation at the moment is generally that there can be an awful lot of delays for people in accessing abortion in Ireland. And the point is that care delayed can be care denied um, at a certain point as well, especially if it means that you go over the 12 week limit um, for abortion, which is easy enough to do, like if you get your dates wrong. Um, And it's a big problem for people, say, in abusive relationships or single parents with childcare difficulties if you don't have any service available locally, as is the case. 
um, in many parts of the west of Ireland um, in particular like they can't just drop everything and head halfway across the country um, and then that's where the three day wait thing comes in as well that makes all those logistics um, that much more difficult um, for women in already difficult situations that three day wait like never mm. made sense in the first like the, what other what other thing if you go for like blood pressure I'm on I'm on a high blood pressure medicine they didn't give me a prescription for b- high blood pressure and say well now this has impacts on you so you better think about it and you're not allowed to fill this prescription for three days you have to come back to us in three days or like they don't there's no three day wait for a Viagra prescription which is more dangerous for your <laughs> for your uh, heart health and stuff like that it, it never made any sense like you know well it's just incredibly paternalistic and patronising it's like you know oh the poor little woman you know maybe she hasn't really thought about this you know life changing decision Three day, um, <laughs> three day wait and two Hail Marys before you can get your uh, <laughs> yeah like I mean I can't really think of any other situation yeah you're right where that would happen and like unless you're some kind of known hypochondriac or something you know <laughs> um, but again like that just illustrates how patronising it is towards women you know this kind of like are you sure that's what you want you know like yeah, yeah. it's yeah um, and what, what are the other big things then that uh, should be pushed for in this uh, review of the, the the legislation. Well, as well as getting rid of the three day wait, there's just the issue that um, um, not all of the maternity hospitals provide access to surgical abortions, which again is a problem. Um, once you get over the ten weeks, you have to go to a maternity hospital to get a surgical abortion, and because there's such poor availability of surgical abortions, like I've heard awful cases where um, women have had to take the abortion pills like three or four times because they haven't worked. And it's quite a painful procedure, like it can be very painful, physically painful for people and have to go through that. And it's a drawn out process over a couple of days, you know, and and the reason why that was happening is because of the lack of access to surgical abortion, whereas like the obvious thing to to do once it didn't work is to send you for a surgical abortion instead. So there's lots of um, problems um, like that. I saw in one of the, I was talking to people involved in the Together for Safety campaign, um, and well, one of the things that they're highlighting, the big thing that they're highlighting is about the protests at the yeah. uh, uh, hospitals. But another thing was this, that apparently um, the, the reports back from women who have had a, a, a abortions um, is in within Ireland is that, yeah, when you're going for your GP and it's a medical abortion, it's straightforward enough that there's res- it's been respectful. But in the actual hospitals, when you're going for a surgical abortion, apparently the reports back are horrible, that people are being treated like with disrespect and kind of sneering and it's a much it's a much less uh, uh, it's a much worse service that people are getting there you know yeah I mean I, I suppose the vast majority of people would rather um, just be able to do um, taking the abortion pills at home in the privacy of your own home where you don't have to deal with like any anything like that which of course shouldn't be happening either and then another big issue is that one of the main you know push factors for repeal in the first place was all of these awful harrowing stories from women who had pregnancies with fetal abnormalities and who were forced to travel to England to access abortion and everyone kind of thought oh well that's dealt with you know through the law but it isn't it's very restrictive you have to be able to prove that the fetus has a condition in which they will die within 28 days of birth and like there's very few you know conditions where the health service here will accept that that's definitely automatically the case and because of the chilling effect of the fact that abortion is still criminalised if you perform it outside the law as a medical practitioner that means that the doctors here are very much erring on the side of caution um, so if there's there's anything they're not sure about they're still like no you have to travel to England so and a lot of for a lot of the women who spoke about their terrible experiences before this before the repeal 
the same thing would happen to them again today you know and like that's just absolutely disgraceful so that's one area where the law definitely needs um, to to be looked at as well and as well just for choice beyond 12 weeks you know um, that's a really important principle as well um, th- that needs to be hammered home I just think though that um like the government will be looking to have very minimal if any change um to the law so it's really a question of like can pressure be put to bear um on them because they just kind of want to say oh this is all done and dusted you know um so it'll be interesting to see who they appoint as the expert um so it's really important that people do get along to um this year's um march rally for choice there's actually going to be more protests in relation to abortion coming up as well though um there's an international solidarity protest um in relation to the terrible restrictive laws that were just brought in in texas um and like one of the most amazing things about repeal was how there was so much in international solidarity from women um, and abortion rights campaigners like all around the world so it's really important that women come out here as well because like abortion rights even once they're won they're just are always under attack um unfortunately um the the other thing well two other things that i saw in terms of the abortion review was one this survey that they did of uh people who've tried to access abortion services in Ireland. Um, and apparently h- half said that they didn't actually, half of people that they surveyed said that they didn't know where to go if they needed abortion services. That it's just not like the information campaign hasn't been like well publicized. Uh, um, and even more sh- like mad apparently is that, uh, uh, or ridiculous, sorry, not mad. Don't mean to stigmatize mental health. Uh, um, but is that one in five uh, went, to their, that went to their GP and asked for abortion services um, did, did they were refused they said oh, the GP said oh no I don't do that but they didn't refer them anywhere else so they just went to their GP and they were told no not for me and they got no which is apparently not allowed apparently the, the rules said that you're meant to refer to somebody else if you don't provide the service you're meant to refer them somewhere else that they could do but like one in five are just hitting that brick wall especially if you're living in somewhere in rural Ireland um, and that's where the other angle of the telemedicine stuff could be like was a bit of a, a godsend during uh, um, lockdown that uh, and that's something that I think people are pushing to try to keep. Yeah, well, it's just much preferable to put the choice actually in women's hands, like to give you as much autonomy over the situation as possible, you know, um, that you don't have to be um, in a uncomfortable, you know, medicalized kind of environment that you can do it um, in your own home. So, yeah, that's an important thing as well. And then there's also these other issues that were brought up at the time. Um, at the time that the government was bringing the referendum to repeal the 8th, they promised that they were going to introduce free contraception for everyone. Um, I haven't seen any sign of that so far. Um, and also that there was going to be this big progressive reform of sex education in schools, which obviously hasn't happened either. Um, so these were things they kind of promised at the time, you know, as a sort of a SOP. Um, you know, it's say, oh, we'll bring in abortion rights, but we'll also improve access to contraception and we also improve access to sex education. Um, and they didn't do either of those things. Um, so that's other stuff they should be pressed upon. And I just think it's remarkable the extent to which like women's health is still such a major political issue, like all this year. Like one of the most controversial stories this year has been the ridiculous restrictions on partners being able to be with women um, during and after labour in maternity hospitals and to go to appointments and ultrasounds and stuff like that. And like there's the last group of people who seem um, 
to like be thought about um, by the government um, or by NEFET in terms of um, their legitimate needs and their, their mental health and their physical health. Like, you know, everything says that this is really important that women have support in those situations. But it just seems to be just so far down the priority list um, of people running the maternity hospitals, you know, um, partly, I think, because they're so overcrowded that it's just a pain for them to have anyone else there like. Um, I remember when I was in maternity hospitals, there was usually wasn't any seats for partners to sit on when they were waiting for appointments and people were always having arguments about whose seat that was. And, you know, just really <laughs> ridiculous, like the, the, this shortage of space and seats. Um, so I think that's part of it, too, just the general lack of resourcing of, of women's health. And then you have the big issue with the National Maternity Hospital as well, that mm. they're still planning to, you know, build that on site owned by a religious order that ran the mother and baby homes. Can't see that going wrong. <laughs> yeah, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be, there's going to be, there's another protest coming up about the National Maternity Hospital in a few weeks as well that's been organised. It does, like, uh, I've heard lots of horror stories. It does seem that um, different maternity hospitals have different, like, standards and different, like, outlooks. Because I've heard loads of horror stories about in Limerick's maternity hospital um, of people, women going, saying, that, that requesting, uh, what's the thing where they cut off your pain receptors an epi epidural epidural yeah <laughs> requesting that and being told oh no it's it's well one one person was told it's a sign of a mother's love the pain that she goes to <laughs> oh in childbirth but uh, another requested it and just wasn't given it do you know what I mean uh, um, and another person that said that um, they wanted a cesarean section but apparently like some like religious people don't like cesarean sections because it limits how many you know children you can have uh, um, so they, they they weren't given the cesarean section uh, and like they, they're in the middle of yeah anyway uh, um, they, they wanted a cesarean section because there was some complication or other anyway I've heard like horrible nightmare stories and it seems like it's still an area where like um, the rights of women uh, um, are like completely ignored you know or in some hospitals some doctors get away with loads of crap like you know Dave do you have any thoughts on any of this or are you just twiddling your thumbs in the corner yeah well I think the um, like the, one of the other things the government have been semi-promising or making commitments to deal with is like the protests by like uh, anti-choicers and other reactionary forces outside hospitals when uh, women are going in uh, women and pregnant people are going in to access uh, services um, and I do think that like like I think the legislation or the what they're proposing is to keep them like 100 metres away from the from the hospital or the service provider uh, which is uh, necessary so that you don't have people like getting like you see in the US like you have um, all these anti-reactionaries and anti-choicers queuing up to like heckle people and uh, and abuse them um, and like, like it needs to be dealt with and like there's also like the reports about GPs who are looking to sign up for um, to provide services because of fears that they'll be targeted uh, with protests and I think that's like a real major issue that needs to be um dealt with like there's been protests all across the country by by these types and like as the pandemic has gone on like you've kind of seen like the blending together of like uh, anti-choicers religious reactionaries and like far-right elements like you know so that's who is going to be uh, the people behind uh, the protests and um, so I do think that like if the government are talking about like bringing in legislation that's going to help I think that's like one of the key things that one they should be looking at one of the big fears as well 
Well, there's two two fears that the uh, uh, as to how the government are talking about doing it, doing it. One is that they could do it just 50 meters, um, whereas the, the demand is for 100 meters. Uh, um, so that would still mean, like, within 50 meters, having to would still mean people having to walk through potentially a cordon of like anti-choicers heckling them and with horrible things, you know. And p- possibly because these could be just be protests outside a GP's clinic. It could just be. Anybody going into the GP, it has to be submitted to this, like, you know. But that, that's one thing that they're talking about, possibly reducing it to 50 metres. But the other and the most worrying one is that there's rumours that they could do it, that it's at the request of the hospital or, or the service provider, which would mean, again, you're, re- you're then relying on the Catholic Church, which runs a lot of our hospitals, to, like, put in a request to ban uh, um, these protests from happening at, at, their, at their doors, which many of them won't do. Uh, um, uh, uh, as opposed to like what the campaigners in Together for Safety are pushing for, which is 100 meters, but that it's done nationally by 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 order, if you know what I mean. And that is like as we said, that's to also make it accessible for for GPs, so that they feel confident in like providing these services rather than not providing it out of fear of having protesters outside your uh, your office, like you know. Yeah, and the fact that these protests be taking place outside maternity hospitals, I remember there was this. Um, awful far-right religious fundamentalist group that were going around with these massive um, blown up really gory pictures and you can imagine there's like women going in getting scans you know who are having miscarriages and stuff and they're having this you know yeah. um, waved in their face when they're coming in and out of the hospital like it's just there's no way that that kind of intimidation should be allowed um, towards anyone, like when they're just going in to a medical appointment, like to get an abortion or, you know, to access maternity services, whatever the case is, you know. Yeah. And like even during level, during level five lockdown in Limerick, there was on 17 different days, uh, apparently, there was uh, these anti-choice protesters outside the maternity hospital. Uh, um, and like the, nothing, nothing was done about them. But then when Rosa in Limerick organised a protest about the Sarah Everard and against gender-based violence, uh, um, one of their organisers, and this was a small protest in the city centre, not near anything, not annoying anybody, about 10 people, uh, um, but they've now gotten a fine, they've been brought up uh, uh, the court, uh, um, and it just shows like the unjust way in which this is being done and the, what the, the far right are, are able to get away with, you know? But anyway, will we, will we leave it there, so... Uh, uh, for now uh, um, our first in-person podcast recording um, thanks again to everybody that has supported us on Patreon and uh, um, if you haven't yet please do um, it makes these recordings uh, the sound editing uh, possible it makes it possible for us to get better equipment and to set up uh, 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 a, a new series which we still want to, to do we still have plans for our eco-socialism one-on-one series um, but to do all this, we need your support. So if you can, anything you can chip in. Uh, we have a couple of interesting interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be uh, releasing an, an interview with Haras Thier about uh, Marxist economics um, and an interview with Sorla about um, language rights uh, um, in Ireland as well. And we'll also have a, another news panel. We're hoping to get back into the swing of these regular news panels as well. Um, so do let us know. Uh, um, if you're in the Patreon, uh, uh, if you're not in the Patreon, join. If you are in the Patreon, let us know what you think of it and uh, what you think of these in-person things, what interviews you'd like to see us do uh, um, or reach out on Twitter as well. Um, and thanks a million and delighted to be, to be back in person. See us. See you. Yeah.